One of the most unpleasant, unwelcomed, and overwhelming feelings that we can have in our lives often comes when we feel like we've gone too far. When we've done something and the negative consequences feel irreparable and just that there's nothing that we can do to go back and change it. Now, sometimes that comes when we make mountains out of molehills. Sometimes we get that feeling for very small things and we blow things out of proportion. Sometimes we really do make decisions and make mistakes and sin in a way that has long-term, far-reaching consequences. Making decisions that cause us to miss opportunities that we feel like we'll never get back. Making mistakes in relationships that can cause broken trust and brokenness inside of those relationships. And sometimes mistakes and things that we do in our lives that can really change the course of our life in a way that we feel like causes us to spiral out of control. Most of us are familiar with that feeling on some level. Some of us are familiar with that on a very deep and personal level. Some of us know it very well. That feeling can be damaging. That feeling can be personally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually crushing, especially when it's something that is spiritual in nature. There may be no more desperate of a feeling, especially for someone who's trying to pursue after Christ, who's trying to pursue after God, to feel like we've done something that's caused us to be separated too far from God. That we've done something that we believe somewhere deep down inside that's too bad or, or too unpleasant or too unchristlike that God could ever want to have anything to do with us. And so we think that we've run so far that God can't reach us. But thankfully, we have Jonah's story to help us to remember the God that we serve. And today we're going to look at the second part of Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2. And last week, we began to see some of the things that that Jonah understood to be true about God, that we have a God who listens to us, a God who hears us when we cry, even sometimes when we don't think that he should, because Jonah wasn't a candidate for someone that God should have listened to, and yet even in the midst of his sin and rebellion, when Jonah was literally, physically trying to run away from God, when he cried out to God, God heard him. We looked at the fact that we have a God who is a good father, who is actively involved in our lives and who cares about us deeply, deeply enough sometimes to discipline us when necessary, but who loves us with this deep, immeasurable love that's full of grace and mercy and kindness. And then today we're going to see a God who not only hears us when we shouldn't, but a God who saves us when we seem too far gone. A God who has a mercy that's greater than we could ever imagine and a love that is deeper than we could ever know. And so this morning, we're going to look at the second half of this prayer and see that if there is hope for Jonah, then there's certainly hope for each and every one of us as well. So if you have your Bibles, and we're in Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 5 through the end of the chapter. And this is God's word. It says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me and the weeds wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you're a God of mercy. And with all the warnings and all the cautions that the book of Jonah contains, we also thank you that there is still hope in the fact that if you would save someone like Jonah, then you can certainly save people like us. That if your mercies are new every morning for Jonah, then your mercies are new every morning for each and every one of us. And so help us to see the beauty in Jonah's prayer. Help us to see your character and your nature put on full display and help it to change the way that we relate to you, the way that we worship you, and God, the way that we love you. So speak to us through your word. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We started looking at these verses in the middle Last week, but I want to go back to him a little bit because Jonah describes his situation. And what's so amazing about the way that Jonah describes the situation is it's happening to him literally, physically, and it's also happening to him spiritually and emotionally. And so in verse 5, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me, and the weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you, O Lord, brought my life from the pit. And we've talked about for several weeks now this language that's used in the book of Jonah that helps us to understand the path that Jonah was on. Because the phrase when he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever, he's describing there his descent to death, both literally as he's falling through the water as he's thrown off the boat in chapter 1, but also spiritually as he grows farther and farther away from God, as he tries to run further and further away from the giver of life, he brings himself closer and closer to death. And the picture that he paints here is, is pretty bleak. He says, the waters are coming over me, the deep surrounded me, I'm wrapped up in these weeds, the bars are closing on me forever. Jonah's situation seems very final. And from everything that Jonah can tell, it is. There's no coming back from this. He's right there at the gates of what he calls Sheol, the place of the dead. And this is the place where people don't come back from. Jonah was smart enough to know. He understood the way the world worked enough to know that when somebody dies, they're gone. And so when those sailors threw Jonah overboard, he knew that this was the end. That my rebellion, that my running away from God has led me to a point where this is all that I have left, and it's over. Jonah's rebellion sent him on a course not to Tarshish like he thought it was, but on a course to death. And there was absolutely nothing that Jonah could do about it. Jonah had gone too far. And now we enter into that feeling, right? And maybe you can even empathize or sympathize with Jonah a little bit here to know that suffocating, excruciating feeling of knowing I've done something, I've crossed a line, and there's nothing that I can do to bring myself back across that line. That's what Jonah is feeling. And the words that he used there, I think, describe it so well because we, we can know that feeling. You know what it feels like to have the weeds wrapped around and to have something that feels like it's grabbing you and pulling you in a direction and there's nothing that you can do about it. And so Jonah is at that place. 
And once again in the life of Jonah, it became necessary for God to intervene. We've talked about Israel's situation through all of this. The nation of Israel is in a really weird spot in their history because they're doing really well. Things are happening in a positive direction for them, but they had pretty much abandoned worshiping God. They'd pretty much turned their back on God, and Jonah was a picture of what that was looking like. And so Jonah's whole life, it didn't matter how well he was pursuing God. He was living in a comfortable place. He had a comfortable position, and he could rest on the things that he found his strength and security in. And so God had to take Jonah and bring him to a place where he would see and understand his desperate need and the truth that only God could save him. Because Jonah could easily rely on his job description. Because Jonah's a prophet of God. That's an esteemed place. That's a religious leadership place. And so people would have looked to Jonah, even if he didn't do anything well, and said, there's a guy who is a prophet of God. That God has chosen him and called him for a reason. And so he must be really important. Jonah could rely on his ancestry of saying that I'm a Hebrew man. I am a part of the line of the people that God chose to bring salvation in the world. I am part of God's people. And he could have felt like that was enough. He could have found comfort and peace in his political affiliations. The fact that he had a really comfortable position in the life of Israel as this prophet who spoke good news to Israel all the time. All of that was enough at one point in his life, but now none of those things mean anything at all. Because these weeds and the waves and the gates of Sheol that Jonah finds himself going deeper and deeper into death, they don't care anything about who he was. Jonah's situation is not something that can be bought. It's not something that can be argued out of. It's not something that can be exalted above. Jonah was in a place that didn't respect anything about who he was, and there was nothing that he could do to escape. His only hope was the mercy of the God that he had forsaken. His only hope was the kindness and the grace of the God that he was trying to run away from. And what's so amazing about Jonah's story is that God was kind enough to show him that. And as we continue going through the book of Jonah, we see so much about the nature and the character of God. And this is another one of those places where we run into a truth that is on one hand really uncomfortable and on the other hand really beautiful about who God is. Because not only is God more present than we ever thought he was, and we see that in the first couple chapters of Jonah, but we also realize that God is more active than we could have ever imagined. That God is way more involved in our day-to-day lives and the situations and the circumstances and everything that goes on in our lives than we could ever possibly fathom or realize. And on one hand, that's kind of horrifying, Because we have a God who is that intimate, who knows us that deeply, who knows us that well, and who is that involved in everything that takes place. We don't have a deist Santa Claus who somewhere back in the past created the world and spun it into motion, and then he just watches everything that happens. But we have a God who not only created the world, who not only loves the world, but who interacts with the world and is actively involved in everything that takes place. And so in the middle of our rebellion, in the middle of our sin, that can be a very uncomfortable truth. But when we look at it from a deeper level, it's a very beautiful truth. And Jonah, seeing the beauty of that now, realizing that even in his darkest and most harsh situation, that God is not only still there, that God is not only watching him, that God not only knows what's going on in his life, but God is there with Jonah, actively moving and intervening on his behalf. 
And that's what he realizes in verse 6. He said, At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. There's something really amazing about this passage. Because this is about the halfway point through the book of Jonah. We've seen God referenced several times over and over in the book of Jonah. This is the first time that we see Jonah interact with God on a personal and intimate way. In the first part of the book, it talks about the Lord calling Jonah to go to Nineveh, the Lord hurling a great wind upon the sea. Even on the boat, when all of the sailors are praying to all their other gods, and they come to Jonah and they say, Who is the, who's your God? Who's the God that you serve? And he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And even in the language of the book of Jonah, we see some of the distance. The God is a, he's Jonah's God. But Jonah kind of likes to look at him from a distance. He's the Lord, the God of Israel, somewhere out there. He's the one he believes in, and he fears him to a certain extent, but it's very impersonal. But now, here, as he offers his psalm of thanks from the belly of this fish, all of a sudden, Jonah gets really personal, and he says, You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. He's not just the God of Israel. He's not just the God that creates the heavens and the earth. He's not just the big God out there somewhere. But Jonah is now realizing that he is the Lord who is my God. The God who loves me intimately and personally and meets me exactly where I am. And so now Jonah is addressing God on this personal and intimate way. And it shows us the truth that we see in Scripture, that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That it's the mercy of God that draws us into intimacy. Even somebody as cold and calloused and rebellious as Jonah. When he comes face to face with the mercy and the kindness of a God who loves him, not simply from a distance, but a God who loves him intimately and right there with him. All of a sudden, Jonah's heart starts to melt a little bit because he realizes that he is worshiping the Lord, his God. Now, God could have let Jonah just run away. God could have just let Jonah die in the sea, and God could have called somebody else. He could have had another prophet lined up and ready to go, and when Jonah ran away, he could have washed his hands and said, you know what, if you want to be away from me, if you don't want to do this, if you want to miss out on this incredible thing that I'm calling you to do, then you can, and I'll get somebody else. But that's not what happens. You see, God had a good and important plan for Jonah, and he wasn't going to let a little rebellion get in the way of that. In verse 6, we see a picture of the gospel. That Jonah was at this place where he was too far gone, and there was nothing that he can do about it, and yet God loved him and cared for him enough that at the moment when his life seemed to be taken away, that God himself had to intervene and raise up his life from the pit. And that's the truth that we see in the New Testament on this side of Jesus, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That Paul says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that we were too far gone to ever build our way back. We could never cross over that chasm on our own. And so because God loved us so much, he gave his son. 
And then when we trust in Christ for salvation because of the work that Jesus did, then all of a sudden God, out of his amazing kindness and out of the love that he has for us, he lavishes that love on us in Jesus and he does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He makes us alive in Christ. That it's God who rescues us from the pit of despair, from the pit of death and all of that stuff that comes from our sin and our brokenness. And then what's amazing about this story and that continues into this theme of the gospel is that he didn't simply take Jonah out of the pit, but he sets him back on the course. And we're going to look at this next week as we see Jonah get spit back up on the land and then God comes to him again and he says, are you ready to go? There wasn't any sort of re-entry training. He didn't take Jonah through any process of getting him back ready to go. Jonah rebelled. God brought him back through his grace and mercy and then looked at Jonah in the face and said, Okay, I have this thing for you. Are you ready to go? And that's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. That Jesus not only saves us, but he sends us. It's a miracle that he's able to take us from being spiritually dead and making us spiritually alive, not based on anything we do, but based on what he did for us. But then it's even more shocking that knowing who we are, knowing our weaknesses and knowing the sins and all the things that make us who we are, he still calls us not simply into a new life, but into a life to go out and to do what he's called us to do. In Ephesians 2, Paul continues that line of of thought when he says that he made us alive in Christ through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's by grace through faith so none of us can boast. And he says he did that so that we could walk in the good works that he prepared for us before the foundation of the world. That he has a good and a perfect plan and a design for us that he wants for us. Like we talked about last week, God wants more for us as his children than we could ever want for ourselves. And so when he brings Jonah up, he wants Jonah to be able to participate in this good thing that he designed for Jonah. And in the same way, when we encounter that saving faith in Christ, we're not only saved to new life, but we're saved to go out and to live out that new life, that God has something incredible for us to do, and he calls us to do that. Just like Jonah, we were as good as dead in our sins. But God in his mercy through Jesus calls us out of death and calls us into new life. And then knowing full well who we are and what we've done, he calls us to go out and to do his will. And so when we look at the story of Jonah, we come face to face with the truth that there is no such thing as too far gone for God. That all of us, every single one of us, we're all too far gone for ourselves. We've all, because of our sin, fallen so short that there's nothing that we can do to earn any favor from God. And so because of that, he had to intervene. But thanks be to God, he did. That God knew that we couldn't do anything on our own. And so Christ came into the world. This thing that we're going to celebrate over the next couple weeks as we talk about the crucifixion of Christ where Jesus died as a sacrifice to offer forgiveness for sins. And then the resurrection, this promise, this hope of new life that Jesus is taking everything that's broken and making it new by the power of his grace and mercy. And so there's no too far gone. And so if you're here this morning and you walked in the door a little hesitantly thinking, I don't even need to be here. 
if anybody knew who I was, if anybody has known what I do or the things that happen in my private life or even in my thoughts, they would certainly not want me here in this building. And there's no way that God could ever love someone like me. We have this beautiful hope in Jonah that if God loves Jonah, then he can love each and every one of us as well. And if Jonah, who tried to physically run away from God, could not get far enough out of the reach of God, neither can we. And we have this beautiful hope that if we put our faith in Christ, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far gone you think you are, that Christ's grace and mercy, that the salvation that comes through God is far greater than any sin that we could ever have in our lives. In the same way, if you're here and and you do trust in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you've been baptized and all that good stuff, we're not perfect. And Lydia mentioned this during the music, that there are times when we fall, there are times when we fail, and sometimes there are times when we fail royally. And even if we know the truth that God loves us no matter what because of Jesus, even if we know the truth that we're saved by grace, not by our works, when we go that far, sometimes it's, it's hard to look past that. But we have the hope in Jonah that no matter how far we fall, no matter how far we run, that Christ's grace is enough. And so we don't have to worry about some sort of re-entry process or retraining that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation from that very moment that it happens until the end of the ages and it never goes away and it never fades and there's nothing we can do to take ourselves out of the hands of God. And so even when we fall, we have the grace and mercy to stand up and to keep moving forward. That's why Paul said when he was talking about running this race, he says, I keep pressing forward, not looking at what's behind, but what lies ahead, because that's the hope that we have in Christ is what's out there, not what's behind us and not what's happening right now, because God's grace and mercy is bigger than all of that. And so no matter where you find yourself this morning, find the hope and the grace and the mercy that comes in Jonah's story as Jonah receives this mercy from God. But then he continues talking after he reflects on the mercy of God, Jonah starts to become very thankful. After looking back on his life and on his circumstances and on God's provision, Jonah is very thankful for what God has done, but he also seems to be kind of confused. In verse 7, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Then he says, but those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope to a steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. This seems to be another one of those passages in the book of Jonah where Jonah didn't read the story. Because Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. But that's not how the story's gone so far. And that's not really how the story ends. Because in Jonah 1, Jonah's on this boat full of these pagan sailors who are worshiping and praying to all these other gods. And yet, after the whole circumstance, they're the ones that end up worshiping the one true God. They're the ones who put their hope in the one true God on the boat. And through Jonah's rebellion, they find salvation. And then as Jonah goes into Nineveh, the city full of people, again, worshiping all of these foreign gods, Jonah walks in and he gets angry with God and the people of Nineveh start worshiping. God. And so it seems a little backwards the way that Jonah words this. But he seems to be remembering something. In fact, he says it. He says, when I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord, my God. Jonah remembered who God really was. And as he began to remember who God was, he also remembered who he is. 
Jonah understood as he remembered the grace and mercy of God that that means that he, Jonah, this rebellious prophet, was a child of God. And what's so amazing is that Jonah wasn't reminded out of fear, but out of steadfast love. Because it's easy to look at this passage and say, okay, Jonah gets thrown overboard. He gets eaten by a fish. That's a really scary thing. Jonah must have been scared into this new faith. Jonah must have been scared into this new hope that God used fear tactics to be able to shake him awake and get him to do what he's supposed to do. But that's not what Jonah says. That's not what woke Jonah up to the need for him to go into Nineveh. But he says it was the steadfast love of God. And it's the fact that salvation belongs to God. It's the kindness of God that showed Jonah who he needed to be and what he needed to do. And it's out of that heart that he says, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. This isn't a conditional prayer that Jonah's offering. Because if this was a movie, this would be the time when Jonah would start praying to God in one of those Hollywood kind of ways, you know, where they start making deals with God. If you just get me out of this situation, if you just save me from the water, if you just save me from this fish, if you just, if you get me out of this situation, God, then I'll go do what you want me to do. If you can help me out right now and show me what you need me to do, then, then I'll go to Nineveh. Then I'll, I'll, I'll do everything that you call me to do. But that's not what Jonah says. His response isn't out of fear, but thankfulness. His response isn't out of desperation, but out of worship because of God's steadfast love. His turn and going into Nineveh that we can look at as as a form of repentance. Because N.T. Wright says repentance isn't just asking for forgiveness. It's not just saying you're sorry, but it's a, a physical turning away from the thing that separates us from God. It's turning away from sin and shame and walking towards God. And we see Jonah take that posture in chapter 3 when Jonah turns away from Tarshish and starts walking towards Nineveh. So we see this picture of repentance in Jonah's life, and it comes because of God's love. Jonah's new commitment was born out of the truth that salvation belongs to the Lord. And one of the themes that we've seen in this book, and really that we see all through scripture, is the fact that that's how the salvation thing works. We have a tendency to get the cart before the horse when it comes to work and to salvation. We think that we have to do all of this stuff to earn God's favor. That if I'm going to be a Christian, that if I'm going to be saved and be baptized, then first I need to get all of my stuff in order. But that's backwards because that sounds a lot more like what you do before you die, right? You get your estate in order. You get your stuff in order. You make sure all your kids are taken care of. That's not what life looks like. Because when Jesus calls us into life, he doesn't call us to get all of our stuff put together. God didn't ask Jonah to fix his life before he saved him. God saved him so that Jonah could go and to do the thing that he's called to do. And what we find in scripture and what we find that is really true in all of our lives, if we're trying to do enough work or to negotiate salvation from God, we're going to end up wasting our lives. If we think, if I just go to church enough, if I just pray enough, if I just do enough good things, if I just serve enough, then somehow God will love me. Or if we sit down with God and say, listen, I've got all these things going on in my life, and if you'll just take care of this and this and this, then I'll, I'll come to Christ. Then I'll put my faith in you. Then I'll do what you want me to do. We're going to end up wasting our lives because that's not what salvation is. 
The gospel begins with God's mercy in Christ. And our work, the stuff that we do, is a response to that. It's an act of thanksgiving to what God has already done for us. Jonah didn't have to go to Nineveh to find God. God found him at the gates of death. And then, out of that picture of grace, Jonah went to Nineveh. And what we see here is that we serve a God who saves us unconditionally. And our repentance and good works are simply acts of thanksgiving as we walk away from our rebellion, as we walk away from our sin, and instead walk in the life that God has given us with sacrifices, and much like Jonah, with voices that are filled with thanksgiving as we go out to the world declaring that salvation belongs to God. As Christians, everything we do is not, again, trying to keep God happy with us. All the things that we do to honor and to worship God and we come together on Sundays and sing and pray and confess when we go out and and love each other and love our neighbors as ourselves and do all the things that we're commanded to do in Scripture, we don't do that so that at the end of the day we can say, God's going to be really happy with me because of all the stuff that I've done. But we do it so that everyone who sees that in our lives will know that salvation belongs to the Lord. That we're putting on our salvation on display so that anyone who sees the work that we do and hears the songs that we sing and listen to the prayers that we pray, they'll know that we were saved by grace through faith, that it's not something that I did, but something that Christ did for me. And our lives are living, breathing testimonies that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's psalm of thanksgiving is a message of hope to anyone who reads it. Here we see a good father who wants better for his children than we could ever want for ourselves. A God who hears us when we speak and a God who maybe even more importantly to us sometimes hears us when we cry out, even when we cry out from situations that we put ourselves in. And he's a God who saves us unconditionally through his grace and then uses us for his glory and for our own good. All that good news in one chapter in the middle of the Old Testament, in the middle of a story that we might feel very familiar with to the point where we don't really interact with it like we should, all of that good news is just hiding right here in plain sight in Jonah chapter 2. And so there's several ways that we can respond to this. First and foremost, if you've never put your faith in Christ, then, then it's a picture of the gospel. That the same mercy and grace that saved Jonah in his time of need is the mercy and grace that God extends to each and every one of us. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us have gone too far, and there's nothing we can do about it, which sounds like really bad news, but the good news, the reason we call it the gospel, is that Jesus came and met us where we are and did the work that we couldn't do for us. And that salvation isn't something that we have to earn. It's not something we have to buy, but something that God gives us freely through Christ. It's a gift that we receive. The Bible says what that reception of the gift looks like is that we just believe in Jesus, that we believe that he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, that he came, that he's the son of God who died on the cross and three days later rose again, and that we repent of our sins, that we trust in Jesus to forgive us of our sins and then turn away from those things and pursue Christ as an act of worship and thanksgiving. And so if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ before, 
and you want to know more about what that looks like, or you've never been through the waters of baptism and you want to be baptized, then you can talk with me or Pastor Adam or Pastor David at any point in time after the service or any point in time at all about what it means to be a child of God saved by grace and how this can be true for each and every one of us. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, then this is, this is permission to worship. This is permission to pray without any sort of condemnation because Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We see in the New Testament that we have the freedom to go boldly before the throne of grace, that we have a God who hears us and loves us and cares for us no matter what we've done and no matter how far we've fallen, no matter what our circumstances, and we have a God that we can worship freely. Because he no longer sees our sin, but he sees his son. He no longer sees our weaknesses, but he sees the strength of Christ covering over us. And so we have the freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth all day, every day, on our good days, on our bad days, on the days when we feel very righteous and on the days when we feel very unrighteous. God's grace and his mercies are new every single morning and there for us to to live in and to receive and then also to return not only to God, but to those around us. And as we worship, we're called to action, to get up and to go to our Ninevehs, to go to the places that God is calling us to go, to do the things that God is calling us to do, to use the giftedness that God has given us for God's glory, first and foremost, for the good of those around us, for the good of the people of of our Ninevehs, for the people who are going to see us put on display the grace and mercy of God. And then also we find that because God knows us and loves us more than we could ever know or love even ourselves, These things that he calls us to do are for our good as well. And so let's be the kind of people who who love God as he he proclaims himself to be and then who finds that grace and mercy as motivation for worship and motivation for action.